0: This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. better late than never. This is a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. This week, I am joined by returning guest, Josh. What's up, man? Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! We're watching a movie that neither of us has ever seen before. Ron, from 1985. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if you'd like to contact this podcast, we're available at betterlatethaneverpod at gmail.com, and we're available on Twitter at betterlate underscore pod, and Josh, welcome to the show. You know, I didn't realize it was,
1: you didn't, I didn't know the era of this pod, so you just dated it for me. Yeah. But a little bit of a
0: spoiler. Mid-80s, baby. I thought... It's an 80s movie.
1: I thought it was like a, not a 40s, I, I I don't guess I don't have the timeline here, this is gonna be an interesting one.
0: Well, Akira Kurosawa's career spans many decades.
1: I'm very happy to be doing this particular episode because this one, I truly, I'm about as blind as I've ever been going into anything we've ever done together. Really? When you said, hey, do you want to do Ron? I went, sure. And my brain went, there's nothing there. There's n- I have nothing. And I thought, that's great. And then you have spoiled it a bit along the way, but not in a way that's going to be bad for the podcast. But what's hilarious is like I was this blank slate. I didn't even know. I just said, okay. I thought in my head actually went, is that a Daniel Craig movie? <laughs> well, Is that like a Guy Ritchie directed mom movie or like yeah, Tom it's like, Hardy or it's something? Like layer
0: Cake or Rock and Roll. No. Um, well, I have to admit that my reasons for the, doing this one are a little selfish. They're a little bit more me focused, but I think it will also come out uh, as we talk why I chose you. As my guest for this podcast,
1: I'm, everything I've heard makes me excited for what we're about to do. So it's not a negative, but it was funny. I, I don't think everything else we've ever done. I have something in my in my muscle memory.
0: Well, let's start with this. So uh, my theme for season two has been this. This episode is a little bit of a cheat on the theme. So the theme has been uh, seeing the kinds of films that I don't normally watch. Which, uh, lumped into that, I've tried to be seeing more foreign films, which, like most Americans, I think I don't see enough of. Mm -hmm. However, I have seen a whole bunch of Akira Kurosawa movies. I'm a fan of his. Um, I've seen The Seven Samurai, Rashomon, uh, Hidden Fortress, and Kagamusha. Okay, I think those are the ones. I, I don't think there's anything else. I think that's it.
1: And the Magnificent Seven is a remake of Seven Samurai. Correct.
0: Uh, what about you? Are you at all familiar with his work? Have you seen any of his movies?
1: No, I've actually never seen one. For all of my movie knowledge and you know opinion opinionated fartage, uh, I've never seen one of his films. And he's like, a, yeah, he's like the best. I mean, I see. Uh, I've, heard, I've definitely heard, know the name.
0: Yeah. Um, so for me Ron is um one of his great films he has you know he has tons of he's made many many films uh, but he has a certain number that are like you know up there as his, his real jewels you know and, okay. and Ron is considered especially for his late period one of his greats and it's one of his great ones that I haven't seen so I'm always like this is one of the Kurosawa movies that I gotta catch up with yeah okay so that being said, the reason I chose you to do this podcast with Josh is because you are my theater friend.
1: Yes, and I'm aware that several of his films are based on plays by The Immortal Bard.
0: Yes, it's, Bill Shakespeare. Yeah,
1: I mean, to his friends.
0: Yeah, William which to, we are.
1: William to everyone else.
0: But it's to, Will Shakespeare, you nitty! But to us, like who, who know him so well.
1: Bill, did I get my line right? Smacks the coffee out of the Elizabethan actor's hand.
0: That's William to you, Pennyforth, you filthy peasant! How dare
1: you? This Elizabethan foe, Elizabethan actor's name is Alfred Pennyforth. Not to be confused with Alfred Pennyworth
0: from Batman, <laughs> the the immortal butler of the uh, of the Wayne family. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so uh, Josh, you appear to know that this movie is based on a Shakespeare play. Do you know which one?
1: Yeah, I actually watched a few versions of it recently, completely unmotivated by this. King Lear.
0: That is correct. Yeah. Uh are you familiar with that particular Shakespeare work?
1: Yeah, intimately.
0: Yeah. Uh so uh do you do you like Shakespeare, Josh?
1: I, are you a fan? I flip and love it. Yeah. It's I mean, do you like Lear? Yes. So my 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 love of Shakespeare dates back many, many years, and there's many stories. But when I was a kid, I maybe in high school or or middle school, I went to see a production of King Lear at Brown University mm. and was just sort of blown away at how good it was. It was amazing. It was one of the coolest things. Now, granted, at the time, I was like 13 or 14, so I was pretty easy to impress, but I walked away with a very significantly good opinion of the play i've seen many productions since some not so good well you which know. makes me appreciate the play more and i've seen some big swings by some big actors take some big misses i'm looking at you sam watterson oh shit if you're listening no offense sir but your leer at the public was not great damn not entirely your fault you tried and it featured a. If anyone knows the play, Bill Irwin played the fool. Uh, Michael McKeon played Gloucester. It was quite, quite like a. It was a great cast. Bill Irwin as the
0: fool sounds like great casting.
1: He played it sort of straight, completely commedia dell'arte, huge, giant clown stuff. It was, mm. it was really weird. And then when the storm hit, he was all tattered and sad, and it was good. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, Sam, you are great, Polonius. You are not a great Lear.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see both of those.
1: I'm trying to think too, cause there's, there was a, it's not the only one, but, uh, I guess I didn't do my, my own prep that great. So there's, I've seen it another time live in my, um, in my adult life and I've watched a couple of the films. So there's, there's like Ian Holm uh, has a version done by the BBC, Ian McClellan did it famously. And there's a, there's a film production of that as well. Well, it's like a, the stage production on BBC sound stages. So it's not quite a movie, but it's not a live play. Yeah. I like this play.
0: Right on. Um, So I have to admit this, um, this pod is, I'm kicking myself because it's something of a missed opportunity. I feel like we should have done this a little bit more like in the style that we did Dune because uh, I had up until this point, not read King Lear. I, I, also, was familiar with Shakespeare. I had either seen or read plenty of his plays, and I, I certainly have most of his major works covered. But Lear was always kind of my big blind spot for him, for whatever reason. I kept kind of missing that one. Yeah, I've always found it odd. It's like the it's like the tragedy Hamlet,
1: King Lear, the Scottish play.
0: No, I know that it, it was weird to me too. I just kind of it, it was this bizarre blind spot for me where, like you know, I've seen hamlet i've seen a red hamlet macbeth much ado twelfth night caesar i love richard the third like all of these ones i i know well and like but
1: okay we know you can name a lot of shakespeare plays yeah thanks dave Over here. Oh, and I've seen Timon of Athens, and yep. I've read Two Gentlemen of Verona, Merry and,
0: uh, Wives of Windsor. Thanks. I
1: thinks I saw a production of All
0: is True at the Watertown Players Theater. Let I let me did. Just, uh, move this copy of Winter's Tale over, thanks. Um, but uh, you know, but but in all seriousness, it, it 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 was my big Shakespeare blind spot was King Lear, and I didn't even have a good explanation for it. So I I I probably should have done this the way we did Dune, where I had predictions for it and then read it and then came back but uh i got a little sick this week and was a little busy so it wasn't coronavirus but um i i was down for the count for a few days and what didn't have the opportunity to do that so
1: listeners please note dave just touched his face he said coronavirus and then he touched his face you filthy we're also recording behind in two separate plexiglass booths because of the COVID 19
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna wipe down my face with this copy of Twelfth Night that I have right here. Uh, um, But so, I I will say, so here's what I thought I knew about King Lear before I read it. Let's see how well I did. I knew it was about this old king who had three daughters. He had the saintly Cordelia and the two-faced backstabbing snakes, Goneril and Regan. And he's thinking of split, he's going to retire, split up the kingdom between the three of them, and uh, Goneril and Regan butter him up, but Cordelia is so sweet and nice that she doesn't even want to do that, so he flips out at her refusal to flatter him, and he doesn't give her anything. And then uh, it turns out that Goneril and Regan aren't very nice to him once he's done that, and he loses his mind, and then... By the end of the play, he's gone mad, Cordelia dies somehow, and then um, because it's a Shakespeare tragedy, by the end, everybody is dead. And then the other thing I thought I knew about it was that uh, Lear has a fool who somehow through the course of the play uh, is saying things that are perceived as increasingly wise, is what uh, I heard the chatter being about is him. And that's basically all I thought I knew about it. Okay. So... Over the past few days, even through my illness, I persevered and I actually read the damn thing. Okay. Finally, I finally read King Lear. Yeah. And uh, not my favorite. Oof. Yeah. You come out of the gate with that. Yeah. Okay. Hot take. Hot take. Okay. Uh it, it was, you know, it was good. I got to say uh Lear kind of kind of goes nuts real fast. Yeah. Like, kind of at the drop of a hat. He is a uh, a a fast crazy.
1: Well, he's just kind of a dick. Yeah. He's generally... That's his Things downfall. Things happen
0: really fast in this book. Things escalate very quickly. Yeah. And what I probably should have seen coming as a Shakespeare trope, but didn't think to throw down, is that uh, it has that thing of people disguising themselves as other people and then not being recognized by people who really should recognize them. That is
1: the story of this play. It happens... Oh, my God. And, I mean, it's one of the goofiest parts of it. Uh, and every production, it's a, it's the most... Um, the most egregious one to me has always been Kent. Kent is, like, Lear's right-hand, you know, knight. Cordelia gets crapped on by lear and kent stands up for her lear banishes kent and then two scenes later he's like hey i'm someone different may i serve you and be your right hand knight lear's like
0: you sir are my man stranger i think that's pretty egregious but i have to disagree i think more egregious ...is Edgar and Gloucester, because that is a man failing to recognize his own son.
1: At that point in the play, Gloucester is blind. No,
0: he sees him before his blinding. Really? Yes. So, uh, to get into the nitty-gritty of the plot of We're, Lear, because should... I just read it last night. Don't <laughs> We're right. not
1: even doing the Lear, so why, why are we boring the listener with all this shit? Because this is time. an
0: adaptation of Lear, don't okay. worry wait. So, there's a scene where um, Edgar's been exiled by Gloucester... And Edgar's like, well, I've been exiled. I guess I'll spend the rest of my life posing as a madman. Poor Tom. Poor Tom, yeah. And um, (laughs) Gloucester comes up and he's like, oh, who's this madman here? He's like, oh, it's just me. Poor, crazy Tom. And he's like, man, sucks to be you, huh? And he's like, yeah. Oh, man, it's breaking my heart to fool my own dad like this. But what can I do? I'm just going to have to keep posing as crazy Tom. And he's not blind yet. Oh, Yeah. Are you sure
1: about that? You're 100%... I mean, you just read it, but...
0: Yeah, I I feel pretty confident. I would read it last night. Now, granted, I was still a little sick. My recovery only really began this morning. So perhaps my illness is creating uh, false memories, but... um, Well,
1: there is a bit at the end of the play, you know, what's... They do
0: interact while he's blind as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, but also what's unbelievable is that he would pretend to throw him off a cliff and then jump into another character because that's what he does he's poor tom his uh, gloucester wants to commit suicide he as poor tom leads him to this cliff and pretends to throw him off but really he's just like pushing an old man to the to the floor of the forest or wherever they are and then he's like oh man you just fell dude like you just fell from way up there i'm someone different i'm not the guy you were just with and gloucester's like Oh wow! I guess it. I guess it is someone different. I guess I did just fall off a cliff. Like, yeah. there's a little bit at the end of this play where Shakespeare was maybe a little too drunk on mead or power or
0: something. Awful lot of pretending going on in this play.
1: I have a timeline of the plays in my office. I meant to take a gander at it and see where this fell. If it was like the middle of his career, but it definitely doesn't feel like the beginning. This is something, something where. You know, he felt like he could get away with some stuff. And in terms of like the character switches, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of it's maybe the biggest stretch of the play. But it's a regular Shakespeare
0: trope. Like you said, it happens all the time. Yeah. It's not unique to these characters. No. And so to bring it back, to, though, to Ron. Yeah. Um if I'm, you know, because we got lost in the weeds of Lear there for a second, but you know, I did just read it, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. Well, a here's lot. the
1: good news: I don't know anything about this movie, and my only real prediction is that it's not going to be that much like the actual plot of King Lear. So you don't
0: think it's going to sync up very much? No. Okay, I think it'll sync up quite a bit. Is my guess? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm banking on a pretty close one-to-one adaptation here.
1: I'm expecting sons instead of daughters. Okay, I'm expecting more samurais. I expect <laughs> there were very few samurais in Shakespeare's production. I'm pre- I'm pre- predicting samurais, um, and I'm predicting a similar level of violence, but maybe not word for word what happened. So Gloucester, we just said, gets his eyes gouged out. It's a famous Shakespearean horrific scene. It's up there with some of the stuff that happens in Titus in terms of violence and just visceral Shakespeare tragedy and gore. I bet we'll get something like that, but maybe not that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, I think it'll have, here's what I wrote down as like the, the top level things it'll take from Lear. So we'll have a very impetuous and quick, quick to, you know, act, uh, Lear. Uh, we'll have those, those, those snakes, Reagan and Goneril, the, too-good-for-this-earth Cordelia. All of those characters are going to die by the end. Uh, we'll have The Fool, who I, I, I had a lot of trouble parsing The Fool's statements, uh, reading it, um, even with the incredibly unhelpful uh, definitions of his terms in the footnotes. I wasn't able to follow, really, the meaning of what The Fool was saying throughout the thing, so I couldn't tell if he was being wise or not. So we'll see how the fool is presented in this thing. But the fool will be present, at least. There is this B-plot in King Lear about uh, Gloucester is this lord who has a trueborn son, Edgar, who's the one we just talked about as getting exiled. And he has a bastard son, Edmund, who um, tricks everybody, gets the trueborn son exiled, and usurps everything. So I think that B-plot will also be present. Uh, Gloucester, the Gloucester character will also have some horrible violence and torture inflicted on him. I don't know if it'll be an eye gouging the same as it is in the play, but I agree. There'll be some terrible violence in there. Out, vile jelly! Yeah, yeah it, was, it was an awesome scene. Um, I also think there'll be a duel, because the two sons duel at the end, and True. I think it'll be some cool samurai shit.
1: Yeah, I'm expecting sword fighting, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think also, so King Lear had this amazing scene in the middle where a, a lot of the people who have been wronged in the play, like Lear and Edgar and some other people all meet up out, out in the, in the heath. Yeah. And it's, I, I, re, I was seeing even in my mind as the nuthouse conclave mm-hmm. because it's all these people who are either gone crazy or pretending to be crazy. Yeah. All just hanging out. And it, it was an insane scene, both uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, I think we'll get something kind of like that
1: now, I also predict that the Kent uh thing is mirrored so there's someone who is excised but then comes, comes back, back and him. poses
0: as yeah. a servant yeah yeah the, like a true someone who's a true tr- to the good guys posing as a servant yeah now
1: an, al- an ally gets banished but then sneaks his makes their way back in I won't even assign a gender to them yeah
0: now another thing that Lear had that if your prediction is right we'll get a little messed up about there being sons instead of daughters is that um Shakespeare has this real Madonna whore complex going on like you see with Reagan and Goneril where like women are either saintly or incredibly evil so like you know you got your Lady Macbeth's versus Mm -hmm. your and you know Reagan and Goneril versus Cordelia's and also where like the evil women tend to be very masculine Mm -hmm. so like you know Lady Macbeth her big you know speech at the beginning is all about like take away my feminine qualities and make me more evil so I can do these things and then like I noticed in lear um reagan actually at one point like her husband is too much of a pussy to defend himself in a sword fight so she actually picks up a sword and like kills a guy in a sword fight yeah this like taking on of masculine qualities by the uh the evil female characters you know so that was a typical shakespeare thing that i saw but if in ron the genders are flipped that might not be there
1: We'll see. I maybe it's a progressive film. It just seems like a lot of the time in the twenty or thirty year ago, re, you know, if you're gonna uh, adapt uh, adapt these things to film, some people got real squirrely with the uh, the details. I have no other grand predictions. I'm excited.
0: Okay, I have a couple more. These are less Lear focused and now more Kurosawa focused. So, obviously, I know he directed this. Um, I do know that so. Akira Kurosawa is most closely associated with the actor Toshiro Mifune, who he had an incredibly productive collaboration with through all of almost all of his greatest movies, like Seven Samurai and Rashomon and Hidden Fortress, most of the ones that I've seen. But I do know that they had some kind of falling out at some point that predates the making of this movie. So I know Mifune won't be in this one. Uh, so I don't know anyone else who will actually be in this I just know that he won't be in it. So I, there's a YouTube channel I bring up a lot called Every Frame of Painting. Uh, it's it's a if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's this very informative and cool YouTube channel that kind of in, teaches you and informs you about all different kind of interesting aspects of cinema and film creation and critique. It's really very cool. Um, it has an installment on Kurosawa and how he films movement and so a question I often ask is are there any specific shots or scenes there are a few shots or scenes referenced in that YouTube uh, video essay that I bet come from this film uh, there's the option during that to like actually reference what movies he's doing but I haven't done that so I'm just guessing here but um, there's one shot where a samurai-ish character jumps up and slices into a woman, and there's this huge, colorful, red, bloody blood spray up onto a wall. I bet that's from this. Okay. And there's a shot of an old man in very heavy, white pancake makeup, very frail, and he's walking away from a building straight towards the camera. I bet that comes from this. And then, so, old blood spray and old man walking. Those particular shots I'm going to be looking out for. And then, um, what that video essay is talking about is um, Kurosawa had this reputation for being a master of um, editing and shooting on movement. Uh, Watch the essay and you'll kind of get it much more well described than I'll be able to. But uh, what I'll be looking for is kind of the editing, which is something that I'm more as an amateur able to see. Like uh, I've noticed in his other films, his cuts... His actual edits are much more uh, showy than the typical director. So he uses like a lot of wipes that you don't see a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, so like in The Hidden Fortress, you see a lot of wipes. You only see those nowadays like in Star Wars movies. Yeah. And, you know, The Hidden Fortress very famously influenced Star Wars. So I wonder if there's gonna be a lot of wipes or like cuts on movement or... um, you know, just, I don't know if there'll be just like interesting, showy editing.
1: I'm expecting very long tracking shots for some reason.
0: Okay. All right. So we'll keep an eye out for interesting shots and cuts. I yes. Guess. All right. Kurosawa staples. And uh, I think that's it for me then.
1: Yeah, I promised you before we went on, Mike, that this would be a lean part one, and I'm trying to hold myself to it. So let's
0: watch this movie. Right on. We will be back for part two. Nay, horses.
1: Why horses? I don't know. It's like more Richard III. I just thought it was Shakespeare. No one would know the difference.
0: Right. Okay. My kingdom for a horse. Let's do it is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. Hey man, um before we get started, can you just uh, you are sitting on my copy of Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh. Just, just be careful with it because it's 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 a signed copy. That's a terrible runner. It was it was autographed. So I- if you could please just Just treat it carefully, please. See, my top of the second part bit was going to be,
1: And I ran. I
0: ran so far away. Yeah. So that's ran. That's ran. It's Ron. Well, actually, uh, all right. So uh, to all of my Japanese-speaking listeners, of which I'm sure there are many uh, apologies up front for the terrible mispronunciations that are going to be running through the rest of this, but um i'm gonna be avoiding them as much as possible i'll do my best i guess but uh you know i I don't think that movie was very good i think all the hype was basically just much ado about nothing oh nailed it nailed no i i thought that was great yeah well i have to say
1: i was surprised when at the end all's well that ends well yes yes and then there was that seen i don't think i have another one in
0: mind uh so it was
1: coriolanus <laughs> um no that was pretty groovy yeah
0: huh. i thought it was fantastic
1: i gotta watch more akira sawa movies
0: yeah i, I would watch them with you I'm, I'm a big fan
1: that uh
0: there's a lot to dive into so where do you want to yeah. start okay um well let's start just with ron so josh what do you think the word ron means like i said earlier King, uh, that's what I'm going to stick with. So uh, what it translates to is uh, it doesn't translate perfectly into English, but generally the title of the film, Ron, translates as chaos or disorder. Ah. Yeah. Which, fitting. Yeah, fits fits quite, quite well. Um, so for the background here, um, this was Kurosawa's last big epic film. And it was hands down the most expensive one that he ever made. And actually, at the time anyway, uh, it was the most expensive Japanese film ever made. So Shocker. Up to 1985. I mean, you saw everything that was on screen in that film not a surprise at all right not just that where not just what was on screen but where it was being shot yeah, all those mountainsides and uh, worth every penny by the way uh, it's, it was yeah and, and and also by the way all of it not a hint of cgi this is all in film this is pre digital yeah. like yeah Th- this is all like real shit in real places and epic scale
1: talk about practical effects
0: yeah i mean jesus and it looks Amazing! This is one of the most incredible looking films I've seen in a very long time.
1: Yeah, the only exception to the rule there, which I feel like we really should research before I talk
0: too much smack on, is some of the hair and makeup. We'll go into it because we we kept we kept having differing reactions, but in different ways. Yeah, and
1: I, uh, by and large, a very handsome looking film, a very sleek looking film, uh, great sets.
0: Oh yeah, great costumes. locations.
1: Great costumes, great SFX. I mean, all around, yeah, it was dope. But? But, well, I don't want to just dive into my critique of the production I like, go, go ahead. I, so uh, many of the characters have the traditional bald spot on their head haircut. Tonsure. Tonsure. And I, at one point early on in the movie, just kind of said, you can see the the the, the hair and makeup, like the bald caps that I believe many of them were wearing doesn't necessarily stand the test of time.
0: Now, I at first wasn't sure. I disagreed because I wasn't sure if I thought I was looking at a bald cap because what you thought you saw was um the hair seeing through the bald cap to the hair I thought was just um you know, like the when you shave your head, you see kind of like where the hair should be, it's darker. Right. I thought that was what we were seeing, but then Later in the movie, it completely flipped where we got a close up on a guy and I was looking and I was like, oh, you know what? That does look like a pretty bad bald cap. I think it
1: was one of those situations where the once I identified it, I, my eyes got kind of used to it and I stopped caring about it. So when we finally got to that scene, I wasn't actually w- tracking it anymore because my brain had already processed, this is just a thing you're going to have to live with because everything else looks so great. So, I got a I guess in a sense I got it's just that maybe your brain took a little while to actually catch and once you did catch it it was a it was a big red flag.
0: Okay, cuz I you know, when I point you seemed to feel like that was a that was a good looking one in that point so I you guess seemed it, to just keep kept, keep kept being at odds. Yeah,
1: I mean I I guess think it maybe and but I'm saying the reason for that is possibly that my eyes just stopped tracking Mm-hmm. I was maybe tracking other stuff. And that was a Kaida scene. Uh, lady... Wait, I'm sorry if I pronounced. I think like, it's Lady Kaida. Kaida. I mean, she... It was. A, it was Lady Kaida scene. So there was a lot of exposition. There's a lot happening in that shot. But oof, what a... Yeah, what a but movie. But yeah, th- th-
0: this is small potatoes shit that, you know, uh, and plenty more to get to. So No, um, for every bad bald cap or wig, you get... A freaking castle
1: burning down, or like a million people on horseback. Yeah, incredible. Just gun muskets and ah, uh, the feudal warfare. So there was something that I identified about this in the predictions or or prologue that, yeah. So in my mind, these were very old movies because that's the setting. I think I I kind of knew that in my head that it would be feudal period well i didn't know it'd be feudal but i thought these movies were made a long time ago and that's i mean yes the 85 was 34 years ago or 35 years ago but it was that's not as i thought this was made in like the 30s or 40s because it has both the setting of a feudal japan and also it's sort of built it's like a lot of the old war movies where you have these giant set piece battles and things like that. So it's kind of an old style of filmmaking and in an old period, but it's, I would say, a relatively modern movie, I guess. Yeah, relatively. I mean, I like, for example, Terry Gilliam's Brazil.
0: I Basically would, the same year, right? When around the out, same time 84? period. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, so Kurosawa came up with the idea for the movie in the 70s, and it wasn't at first, from Lear. It was based off of a parable uh, that's well-known in Japan, and you might actually recognize this because um, the general idea of it is not limited to Japan, but the parable is of a warlord, Mori Motonari, who is famous for having three sons, and in this parable, the three sons are all very loyal and, uh, and good, and they, they're a, a good-loving family. And the lesson is the lesson of the three arrows, where he gives each of them a single arrow and tells them to break it, and then he gives them the three, and they can't break the bundle, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, the lesson of, like, if you all stick together, you know, you'll be stronger. And so in Kurosawa's mind, he was like, well, what if we have the same story, but all the sons were evil? Yeah. And it goes wrong. And so he started coming up with an idea for something with that, and then... As he was thinking of that, then he uh, eventually got introduced to or started to be inspired more by like, oh, well, then there's also there's King Lear, so I can start incorporating that into it, too.
1: Yeah. And the I, I liked this adaptation or this story blended with King Lear. They are not many things are a one for one, as you predicted.
0: But as you predicted, you were totally right on the gender flip of daughters to sons. And many things are different.
1: It's not, it's not like a perfect, it's like essentially it's, it's an, I would call it an adaptation. And yes, did you actually
0: have a thing from Lear that you wanted to reference? Well,
1: I think what's interesting is we started having a conversation about the origins of Lear during the movie. And I said, Lear was a story that predated Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So I pulled out my signet classic and flipped through the lit in the back. And it is in fact, uh, true that. Lear was a very common story in Shakespeare's time. There was the True Chronicle History of King Lear, which was a reemergence of it just before the first recorded performance of Shakespeare's, uh, which is another dramatization. And they're both uh, based on a story printed in the Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland. And I'll just read a little bit about it. It's Lear, the son of Baldud, was admitted ruler over the Britons in the year of the world 3105. This Lear was a prince of right noble demeanor, governing his land and subjects in great wealth. He made the town of Carlier, now uh, called Leicester, which standeth upon the river of Soar. Leicester. Yeah, Lester. It is written that he had by his wife three daughters without other issue, whose names were Gonorilla, Regan, and Cordelia, which daughters he greatly loved, but especially Cordelia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when this leader therefore was come to great years and began to wax unwieldy through age, he went. He thought to understand the affections of his daughters towards him and prefer her whom he loved best to the succession over the kingdom. So essentially, this—it's just interesting that Kira, Kurosawa has an origin story, the arrow story. But even Shakespeare's version was not. I'm not derivative is the word that was about to come out of my mouth. Even Shakespeare's version had an origin story.
0: Yeah well and even the arrow story i mean not that it again not derivative but like that exists in other cultures too like in grade school we learn about how um the iroquois nation which was a confederation of native tribes uh here in the in new england uh-huh. um you know th- their origin story was a similar thing with like the ta- the breaking of the single arrows and the taking of the bundle and like look how much stronger the group is right yeah. it's it's a pretty classic parable uh, yeah and this is quite a quite a wild ride yeah yeah So, a little bit more about the making of it. So, for Kurosawa himself, um, he talked a lot about how he saw a lot of himself in Hidatora, who's uh, the Lear stand-in, the the old king. Yeah. Um, Because Kurosawa, um, he had been huge. He had been a major figure, but then had started kind of dropping off and was, at that point in his career, in a fallow period. He had relatively recently been fired from directing a huge production called Tora, Tora, Tora. Have you heard of that film? I've heard that name rings a bell. Yeah, it's actually, uh, you see ads for it in the background of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that movie. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, and um, he had actually also uh, attempted suicide shortly after getting fired from that film. Um, and so, you know, he recovered from that, but, you know, he had trouble getting funding for, for his films at this point in his career to the point where, A lot of his movies at this point had to be international productions because he couldn't get enough funding just in Japan. You noticed right away when the credits started coming up that this is a co-Japanese French production. Yeah,
1: which is interesting. That is kind of weirdly similar to the Polanski uh, having to get Playboy to fund his Macbeth. And I'm saying, I know I said Scottish play in the first act. I'm breaking my rule and saying the actual title. It's so. only
0: unlucky if you're in a theater.
1: Everywhere's a theater if you want it to be David. Whoa. That Mind is blown. deep. That uh, is some
0: deep shit, dude. That I think is like some some Henry Eighth deep.
1: There's a lot, I mean, directors, so he wasn't, uh, what? There was someone who said, look, I still want your movie. Like, what's the what brought him to this French production company
0: oh I think it was just um, you know that was just how he I, I don't know anything more about that just like they were interested in funding a okay Kurosawa, you know this French production company but wanted they to work with him. where did they,
1: they filmed it in Japan
0: yes okay yeah anyway uh, one other thing just uh, as backgroundy stuff before I start talking about him as a filmmaker apparently uh, a lot of the film is influenced by his personal anxieties about nuclear war Which is you have to the thing about Kurosawa too is that um, he you know lived in Japan during World War II, so you know he was in Japan when the United States dropped the atomic bombs on Japan. So he's someone for whom the idea of nuclear war is not some kind of abstract concept. You know, so his his anxieties about that sort of thing are very visceral and Mm -hmm. real. And so uh, his uh, the war scenes in this film. Uh, the the muskets, the, the, the more advanced weaponry being so devastating on the battlefield, uh, apparently are kind of meant to represent the kind of changing technology, bringing a, a new kind of devastation to the art of warfare that reflect that kind of anxiety. Yeah, certainly. You certainly saw how devastating they were in the final battle. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, do you want to go into background on him or do you want yeah. to sort of mix that in with digesting the plot of this bad boy? Um, a little bit of both. Okay. So
0: I'll do a little bit of background on him. So, and then we'll mix some stuff in as well. Did he
1: write, I missed in the credits, is he author as well?
0: So one of the things about him that he's famous for is being involved at basically every level of film production. So he writes, he directs, and as I alluded to before, and we'll get more into in this part, he edits. As his own work as well.
1: He's over at the craft services table making sandwiches for people. Cooking,
0: you know, handing it out. He he sews the costumes himself. Yeah, of course. He acts as his own set dresser. Everyone
1: yeah. loves people like that. People have to have a hand in everything kind know.
0: Well, part of the reason why he was far- fired from Tora Tora Torah was because he was such a dictatorial perfectionist. People were finding him hard to work with. Sounds like Terry Gilliam. Sounds a little bit like Lear too, maybe. Kind of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I mentioned a uh, that he's famous for his editing. And so as every frame of painting noted, he has a strong tendency to do these um, uh, cuts on motion is a signature of his. I mentioned that he likes wipes, but a signature move of his was something called the axial cut, which I had to look up because I didn't know what that was. And um, that is a type of cut where you're cutting along the axis of the shot, like of the way the lens is looking. So, if you imagine instead of zooming in or zooming out, you just do a cut where you cut straight in or cut out. So you go from a wide to a close up in the cut, or or vice versa from a close up to a wide. And so that um, that kind of cut is kind of a, a signature move of his. Yeah, and something he does a lot. I noticed um, at
1: the very end of the film when Suey's brother was on the ledge, and it and it cut. It kept cutting further out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's there's another point in the movie where I noticed it in particular, which I'll bring up when we get to it in the recap. But um, this kind of cut is actually not used very commonly nowadays anyway, because um, more commonly when there is a cut, uh, you tend to change the angle of the shot. Which I, I, I noticed that right away because I remember reading this kind of like filmmaking for beginners book. Yeah. And that was ex- something they explicitly told you to do. They were like, when you cut, change the angle. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, but apparently this is something he didn't do. But anyway, so. um, Well, he's
1: not changing the angle, but he's zooming. F- it's a zo- He's like replacing a zoom. He's jumping back. It's oh, but just, the
0: angle's not changing. No, it's so-
1: still the same angle, but he is changing.
0: He's expanding what you're, you're seeing, right? Or he's either expanding or contracting. Yeah, And also, basically, like, you know, if you're a genius like Kurosawa, you can break those simple rules because you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know?
1: It's like in uh, improv. There's a very, very strict code, but if you are very good at it, you kind of throw the code out the window because yeah, it's embedded in your DNA.
0: Maybe learn the master the code first, though, maybe.
1: The code is shockingly short. It's yes and or yes lets, depending on who you listen to. Accept and build. Accept and build. Play the scene, not the
0: words. Yes. That's actually an acting tip. <laughs> I guess it could apply to improv. I mean, I think the important thing to remember about what you said is Timon of Athens. Timon. <laughs>
1: oh my god
0: uh, so anyway
1: timon timon of athens if you're gonna correct my pronunciation <laughs> i'm gonna to have to bring the hammer down a little bit
0: timon sorry that's actually that's one of the ones i have not it's read,
1: timon uh, and pumbaa you're thinking of that yes i'm sorry the tragedy, he, he didn't write that one the tragedy of timon and pumbaa
0: billy didn't write timon and pumbaa <laughs> No, nah. he was most famously associated like i said with Tashir mifune they had a huge run of successful films but after they broke up he started running into more difficult times and having less critical and financial success. But one of the big exceptions to that is this final film, uh, or one of his final films, Ron, which was considered by many to be his masterpiece among many masterpieces. And so now here we are at talking about Ron. So, um, do we want to talk about the cast or the actors a little bit i
1: wouldn't be able to say much i mean they're all they're all great i think we should just you know kind of hit hit it like th- okay. i mean this movie opens up in media res
0: well let me just um, a
1: long time ago in a galaxy far far away i liked how that in was in old verona we <laughs> where just... we lay our scene <laughs> yeah
0: let me let me mention their names just because some of them were great uh tatsuya nakadai as Hidetora was our king lear stand-in Akira Tarao as Taro, our goneril stand-in. Uh, this is where the pronunciations are going to be terrible, by the way, so apologies again. Mm-hmm. Jinpachi Nezu as Jiro, the Reagan stand-in. Daisuke Ryu as Saburo, our Cordelia stand-in. And then the only other person I want to specifically call out is Mako Harada, who played Lady Keita, who was Taro's wife and basically edmund but also in being taro's wife kind of amalgamated with lord of cornwall i guess yeah or or lord of albany she's albany because that's uh that's gonerill's husband but uh she's as she's basically Edmund. i think it's
1: cornwall i think cornwall and gonerill are the couple and albany is with reagan
0: no, Cornwall is with Reagan and Albany's with Goneril. I I'll read che- it last night.
1: I'll check it off, Mike. Okay. I dispute your findings, but I have the book here. It's
0: yeah. fine. Yeah, but, uh, but 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 her purpose in the story is basically to be Edmund, and I want to call her out specifically because, dude, she was fucking great. Yeah. She. I, I, I. There's a lot of good acting in this film, but she stood out to me from the get-go as like my favorite part of the whole film.
1: Yeah, a, a strong cast uh not a not a miss in the bunch. Um I would like to give an actor only known as Pita Pieta Peter uh
0: uh who played Kayome, uh which was the clown, the, the fool. fool. Yeah, so uh the uh the that Peter is a stage name. The actor's actual name is Shinosuke Ikahata. And this guy was actually one of Japan's most famous gay entertainers and was brought on specifically to play the fool because it was, you know, kind of in his wheelhouse and he was able to, you know, fulfill this role as this entertaining character. And it was kind of interesting that he had this whole kind of like side history that I wasn't able to get into. But he's got a Wikipedia page if you want to go check it out. He was great. Yeah. Um, But in bringing him up, he uh, brings up one other thing, which is that... um, most of the acting in this movie is pretty straightforward, but a couple of the performances were heavily influenced by traditional Japanese no-acting style, which is a classical Japanese style of performance that dates from the 14th century, which incorporated a lot of dance, elaborate costumes, and masks. Uh, those two performances uh, were Lady Keda and Hidatora. Okay.
1: Well, one interesting thing is the actor who plays Hidetora. yeah, he's almost mask-like in terms of how much makeup and wiggery and uh, the
0: beard. Don't forget Lady Kada, you called out the way her face is set up, that she had that interesting thing going on where her eyebrows were shaved off and then painted back on, but not where they were supposed to be. No, like much like halfway up the forehead. So it made her face this very interesting off it was it was very unsettling looking but, at
1: her by the way Hidetora, uh the actor T- tatsuya he's still with us he mm-hmm. was o- he was only fifth in his 50s when this movie was made oh they they made him look way older than that by the end Jesus. very successfully yeah i mean that's kind of out that's kind of stunning so for everyone who's like wondering what the heck this dang movie is about and we did hit the plot of king lear earlier it opens with a boar hunt. A very, it actually opens with an incredibly still, uh, a series of shots of the brothers on horseback. You were right. There are horses. There's so many horses, <laughs> and that was I don't know why that came into my head, but samurais and horses. It felt like a thing. Yeah, and also, uh, but the movies in color. It is in color. I kind yeah. of expected it to be in black and white. Again, Just because
0: you thought, of course, as being an older yeah. director. But yeah, 1985 in gorgeous color.
1: Some of his movies w- must have been in black and white, right? Oh, well,
0: uh, most of them are. Okay. But in this one, the color is actually so important. Yes. Because uh, the the factions are identified that way. So you have um, the Tarot-Goneril faction is yellow. The Jiro-Reagan uh, faction is red, and the Cordelia-Saburo faction is blue.
1: Yeah. And essentially, the after a bunch of shots where I kept thinking, how did they get these horses to stay this still for so long? These actors must have been really, really good at dealing with horses. It reveals that the reason they're sit on this hilltop is there's a boar hunt. We're, we're sort of introduced to Hitatora. Oh, leading, Richard III was there. leading <laughs> Leading the hunt. Some wild boar. I was impressed by all of this because these shots are showing mountains with like no seemingly no technology or electricity in sight.
0: Yeah, the landscapes were incredible,
1: and the horseback riding is really impressive. Uh, then it cuts to their sort of celebration after the fact. They've killed a boar. Everyone's happy. They're heaping praise on the the emperor, uh, the leader, the king, on Hidatora, and he he's kind like of a, fa- he's a feudal lord. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. explains that. He's trying to marry off his younger daughter. There's two neighboring of his youngest son to two neighbors uh, daughters who are sort of vying for uh, this honor, which you think at the time is an honor. Uh, He falls asleep literally during the conversation. Everyone kind of jokes about how old he is and walks away. And he emerges having this vision and immediately gives the control of their land and family over to his eldest son. And lays it out. Hey, I'm gonna move from the castle to the guard to the to the tower. You're gonna take over. Uh, my next in line is gonna take over castle number two that we possess, and my youngest castle number three. And uh, you're gonna rule together, basically under your oldest brother's. Your oldest brother's gonna have dominion over the land, but you're gonna support him. And I'm just gonna frequently visit you all. I'm gonna be the your house guest.
0: And I gotta say, like right off the bat, at least on paper. By investing full authority just in one of them, the eldest, by the way, th- this is a much more reasonable plan than Lear's. Lear's plan is,
1: hey, I'm going to ask you all to essentially heap praise on me, and whoever heaps the most praise gets the best deal.
0: And also, don't split the Empire three ways. Like, d- keep it together. Yeah. So,
1: in, in Rand, but what's the interesting sort of way that Kurosawa changes it to his, the eldest son says, No, this is a bad idea, father. I'm not like this isn't going to work out. And sort of being demure and coy, he says, No, it's going to be fine. And he tells them the story about the arrows.
0: We get the arrow lesson. Yes. But then the, shows the, the
1: youngest child, uh the Cordelia, Saburo. Analog, yeah. Saburo.
0: He fucks himself over with his failure to flatter, just like Cordelia did.
1: But he doesn't just fail to flatter, he breaks the arrows. He shows his father is wrong. He expo- He doesn't necessarily, it's not a question of flattery I get for he me. Does, he goes way overboard, I think. Uh,
0: well, he calls the plan stupid, basically. He's uh, way more, in- Cordelia was never insulting. Yeah,
1: and this drives uh, our, our king, uh, he gets incensed very quickly, he banishes him. The Kent Analog uh, character named Tongo Tongo explains why what he's doing is stupid and also is banished. And then we cut to essentially what happens in in Lear where one of the outer uh, families, uh, can you pronounce their name or say it correctly? Yes,
0: so... um... Fujimaki is our stand-in for France. Yeah. He goes after them and is like, I was very impressed by your conduct back there, Saburo. Why don't you come back with me and still marry my daughter? Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll forge an alliance anyway.
1: So then we sort of, it starts to fall out similarly to Lear. uh, But this
0: is where we meet Lady Kata for the first time. She's a straight bitch from the get-go, but like so good
1: yeah she's pissed off because now that she's the lady of the castle no one is respecting her as such and she makes noise about it to her husband who decides as a big show uh to put the screws on his his father a little bit and the gaslighting begins and to reign in his uh, 30 he's promised he's demanded to keep 30 knights or warriors or samurai and everyone's on board with that originally but they're all assholes they're they're unruly I mean they've earned it. They haven't done like anything too bad, but what is it? Oh, it's so They're uh, singing too loud. Well, it's it's not just that, it's uh it's that uh comic songs can go
0: too far.
1: Yeah, Taro Taro tries Taro's men try to take the sigil away from the knights. They try to take uh the Lord's banner because he's supposed to be the Lord now. It's a show of like Dominance. Dominance. Yeah. And the men deny them the sigil, and then the fool makes fun of Toro and sings this song about being like a, a leaf blowing in the wind. And some of Toro's men, one of them, confronts the fool, and it looks like they're about to stab him, and he to Tora, Ice is the guy with an arrow, one of the first bow and arrows shots we're going to see in this movie. Yeah. So Toro, so then they're all partying and they're singing the song that the- they're all like celebrating the fool for being such a good guy and so funny. And they're singing the song that's like, Toro's like a leaf. He blows in the wind. What will he decide? Nobody knows. <laughs> and like, for whatever reason, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Seemingly innocuous song drives Toro to call his father in for a, quote, family meeting. And he to Toro's like, huh? No one of the families here. Okay. And uh, Toro uh, demands he sign this contract that is like, I renounce
0: all authority. They get the lawyers involved. They get the lawyers involved. They get the lawyers involved right away.
1: Uh, and Hitatora's, like, sort of, doesn't understand why his daughter-in-law isn't, like, why she's sitting on the dais and he has to bow to her. It's, like, already this arrangement is not... Falling apart. Completely
0: falling apart. Yeah. Well, that's why the lawyers get involved right away. Uh,
1: Hitatora... Classic
0: family court shit. Yeah,
1: Hitatora says, screw you guys, I'm going to my other son's, and grabs his uh, knights and
0: marches over to Jiro. Yeah, but before we get there we linger a little bit with Taro and mm-hmm. Lady Keda because we get a brief scene of her talking about her history a little bit. And yeah. she talks about how the castle they're currently in, which is the the first castle of this clan, uh, was originally hers. It belonged to her family. And uh, Hidatora captured it from them. He seized that castle from them and killed everyone. She is, I believe, the only survivor of her family and was captured and she was then forced to marry Taro, and she, you know, basically saw the slaughter of her entire family and clan, and then was impressed into this other family. And she even says, over there is where my mother took her own life.
1: Yeah, and to a certain extent, she's like, I'm happy to be back in my family's castle, but she makes it very clear that the circumstances were, were dark and not okay.
0: Well, and we also... And that she's
1: held a grudge about it.
0: Yes, we start to get the inklings that we're gonna... I think we should loop back to at the end when we talk about her of... Uh, there's a certain question, I think, about what her motivations are throughout the whole thing.
1: Which is a nice contrast to Lear. Uh, the something that is different, but in, in a cool way. Is is there's not... Lear is, in this, is essentially a good leader who kind of goes crazy towards the end of his life by cracking up. Hita is... Often referenced in this movie as being a gruesome
0: warlord and a thug, so much more of this movie is about confronting the repercussions of his bloody past. Right. Uh, So Lear Reagan, which makes this movie better, I think, because the like Lear's madness just seems to kind of come on from his kids being rude to him. Whereas in this film, it's so much more about confronting your sins. Yeah,
1: and Reagan and Goneril, you've done the movie gaslighting, but they're a little bit more straight up gaslighting Lear in in Shakespeare's text. And in this one, I mean, who knows what Toro and Jiro? I mean, there's there's just sort of a chaotic uh, energy brought to the entire kingdom by this change. No one's really happy with their status. Uh, and Jiro. So then he, we get the scene with Jiro at his castle. Castle the second castle and he explains to his men he's furious that he was not given the first castle because he's only what, a year behind his older brother and yeah, he thinks Tara's weak. Yeah, he's not he's not a fan of this arrangement, but he's willing to play along because he doesn't think his men alone even though i guess he has a full army can take these 30 samurai that uh he rolling with well,
0: every one of them is worth a thousand of his guys yeah
1: so he gets this letter from toro ahead of uh the the king arriving and that sort of catches him up on what's going on and says don't let him in don't don't accept the knights and similarly to uh Lear, he spurns his father as well and his father says all right i'm going back to uh well, does he even go back to Castle Number One? I mean, he's he.
0: Well, he, a little more happens. There, oh, though, he's. That I wanna... I'm
1: sorry. He said, "Yeah, he ta- he informs his father he can stay. The men have to sit outside the castle right.
0: gates." Um. Yeah, I wanna I wanna mention a couple things that happen here though. Sure. Just, um. One is that uh, Jiro thinks Taro's weak, but he does kind of like Lady Kada. And thinks uh, maybe she would be a good match for him, and this links a little bit back to King Lear with Goneril and Regan fighting over Edmund, but which causes m- their eventual rift in the m- play. Mind you, he
1: does have a
0: wife, so that women Lady are not- Maybe which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, women are not treated well in this movie. Oh, no, not at all. Um, there's also a good line, too, about uh, one of his advisors are all down to kind of like usurp the power- and he, he comments about how now that uh, Hidatora is gone, they're much more ambitious. And the line he says is, um, how the dogs have learned to bark. Mm. And I thought it was a good line. But uh, yes, so bringing up Lady Sui, uh, Jiro's wife, another woman whose family was destroyed by Hidatora, their castle ruined, which we'll visit later. Mm-hmm. And then she was forced to marry Jiro. He meets her upon his visit at Jiro's castle and this, uh, another saintly lady versus the uh, horrible Circe esque Lady Kada, but um, she, you know, doesn't have the same kind of hard feelings towards Hidatora. and this is what kind of starts him reckoning with his bloody history as a feudal warlord a little bit, and begins much more his mental breakdown as he starts thinking about all the things he's done wrong to get where he is. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it sets off a period of intros self introspection.
0: Yeah, but anyway, so yes, Jiro kick Jiro says his guards can't stay, but Lear flips out and says, "I'm I'm out of here!" And he goes out into the heath
1: with his men. And this, so uh, he still has his men, he's got yeah. his train of men. Yeah,
0: they it, go <laughs> they
1: go to the local town to pillage it for any resources available, and they find that the peasants have fled into the mountains because Toros put out an order that anyone who gives them food or shelter is uh. Is going to be is suffer the death penalty,
0: and it is learning that Taro has given this order that really breaks Hidetora, yeah. Because that you know, he he up until this point just thought that they were being mean to him. But upon hearing this, uh, and he hears it from Tongo, by the way, who has come back. He although he's Kent, he has returned not in disguise, yeah, that that is abandoned. But um, hearing that, he really starts to break down a little bit from the heartbreak. But, um, this
1: is an interesting scene. So Tongo approaches him and basically says, I've got food for you, but you have to forgive the peasants. And Hidetora says, absolutely not. Uh, they shouldn't be forgiven for this. And I can't take your food because you've betrayed me.
0: And it's charity.
1: And it's charity. And I'm, I'm a warrior and I can't. And then the very... So I don't know. Maybe if I watched this a second time, I would track it better. But there is the third castle that is being vacated... Which was uh, Segura's. Saburo. Saburo,
0: sorry. Right. So the third castle is Saburo's, and um, Taro goes to try and claim it. And when they get there, Saburo's army says, you can keep the castle. We're leaving. We're going somewhere else. We're going to start massing up somewhere else. Yeah. And they leave, and you get the sense of like, well, Taro's got the castle, but uh, I wouldn't feel great about it if I was him.
1: And at this point, one of uh, Hidetora's uh, other right hand men has defected to Toro. That's that's Ogura. Ogura went from being part of the train of knights to being one of Toro's people. Mm-hmm. He still got another advisor to his left, and they the advisors like, "I'll bring the men and we'll go take the third castle." And they they, they do they do, but it's a trap.
0: Yeah. So and um...
1: and and, T- and Tongo is trying to explain to him. Do not go to that third castle. Go to suboro with, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say with Fukushima, Fukushima right?
0: Um, I'll tell you. We'll but have to well, keep well,
1: reminding ourselves. The these... way I, I
0: like th- this uh, Fujimaki.
1: Fujimaki. So, He's I, France.
0: T- yeah,
1: Tango advises him not to take the third castle, but to go to Fujimaki, who's and France. And Saburo, yeah. yeah.
0: The way the scene plays out is uh, he gives Tango the thing you always want to hear, which is you were right all along. And I never should have doubted you. I, I was wrong to, you know. You were you were right the whole time, and you always want to hear that. But then, even after saying that, he immediately disregards Tonga's advice and goes to try and capture the third castle for himself. Yeah. And what does he say? Oh, I don't know. My horse. Oh, does he? My horse. Oh, hilarious! I missed that. My kingdom for a horse. Well, and also
1: there's a great bit where the fool, where Kaiohme is like making fun of him, you know. This is this is some good classic fool leer buffoonery in this scene. And he any he and he whips he has a <laughs> switch and he whips the fool for the for the insolence and rides off. And you get this which cuts to the same landscape, just Tongo and the Fool, and the clouds have rolled in and it's very ominous
0: and dark. Yeah. And so he successfully takes the castle, but as you said, it was a trap. And then we get this absolutely incredible scene of Taro and Jiro having teamed up to lay siege to the castle and break the back of their father's strength and either capture or kill him in the third castle.
1: Oh, it's incredible. And there's, there's just hunt, there's arrows flying. And earlier when I said there's a, I talked about the fool and, uh, he, 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 uh, uh, launching his arrow now you've got guys getting hit with like seven or eight arrows. I mean, the the bloodiness of this is is pretty awesome.
0: I mean this this is really the money shot scene of the entire movie. It, it was insanely good.
1: And even though it doesn't have the same Alfonso Cuaron, uh, or Alfonso Cuaron, wait, sorry, what's that? So I don't look like a complete jerk off on Alfonso you. Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron. It doesn't have the same Children of Men. Ask. Uh, one take tracking shots. It does have that feel of cameras pushing up stairwells. Uh, you're sort of like the soldier's perspective. It also has this brutal scene where all the concubines commit suicide.
0: Yeah. So uh, a few things that I, I, I loved about it. So one, I, I mentioned it earlier, but especially here, um, I really love how the armies are so simply and clearly defined by a color Yeah. It makes it, one, I find it visually pleasing, but two, it just makes it so easy to see what's going on in a big battle scene like this. Two, you've got that amazing concubine suicide moment. And also, they all, uh, others of them all die in defense of Hidetora standing up in the way. That was incredible. But there are also um, many. Very gruesome and gritty just war shots of just like the grunt's eye view of like the casualties and the people who were wounded or dying or dead, you know, through the course of the battle, Um, including uh, there's one, uh, a man who's wounded and holding his own arm. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't help but wonder, I was like, you know, that's that's a very famous shot from the opening beach battle and saving Private Ryan. Oh, interesting. Is a guy doing that, and I was thinking, I was like, Man, I wonder if that's Spielberg a- took that from this. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure he saw this.
1: Yeah, and I, I I I just loved the the sort of cluster of guys shooting their way up the stairs. I mean it was and it was funny because it was about this point where you commented, huh, they're making pretty uh streamlined work of the plot of of Lear. I, I mean how could this be a 2 2 hour and 40 minute movie? And this action sequence, I didn't clock it. It had to be like 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, we're like half an hour into the movie and we're like in act 3 of Lear already. But
1: they stop everything for a massive battle which you could never do in an Elizabethan theater. Yeah, the
0: movie also slows way down after this too. But, That's um, true. But um just uh another thing too is that um there's this th- very cool thing that it does is that most of the battle takes place with this very um dirge like music track over all of the action which they suddenly break with an extremely loud cut to actual loud violence which is the gunshot that kills Taro which yeah. is both surprising in that the sudden loudness of it surprises you and two the shock that they killed Taro there yeah. was surprising i like i i jumped in my seat both because i was startled and i was shocked because they killed Taros right there, I was like, yeah. "Holy!" It was such. It was like a holy shit moment on a couple of different levels. Yeah, you know, amazing. And old man walking.
1: Yeah, you were right. I got
0: my old man walking shot, and that shot is incredible. And it's an axial. Yeah, it, it is an axial. It is. It is an or you get the axial cuts. So you get um. So Hidetora is his mind appears to have been broken by his ordeal going through all this which he, by the way makes much more sense than what lear has gone through this he, this yeah. is a much more this is a much better reason to go crazy
1: all his men are dead uh, his whole his whole party is is is, is deceased and And this is
0: also a much firmer betrayal than what reagan and goneril do in the play he's holed up in some tower the cat the the castle's actually on fire and he's like burning he's like looking for sword i don't know he just keeps picking up swords and rejecting them well I, i think the idea is that he wants to commit seppuku but he can't find a sword ah so he just decides to face the firing squad and he walks down the stairs well i think his mind breaks and he just starts to walk yeah and he walks out of the burning castle and you get him coming out the door, and so the castle is in flames behind him, and you get this really cool asymmetry of the two different colored armies on either side of the castle looking up at him, and they kind of part, mm-hmm. you know, Red Sea-like, to and let him pass, Also, children, and he comes down.
1: Also sort of like in Children of yeah. Men.
0: And then you get this at the the axial cut, which is that it goes from a wide cut to a close up or a closer up of him coming down the stairs back to the wide. That's yeah. the axial. And it just, it looks really beautiful and just, you know, like, but you know, with the, the flames behind him, the colors, the asymmetry, just everything all happening. Can you imagine what must've gone in to making that? Because not to give away some of the trivia I have later, but um, they actually burned that castle down. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, it had, wasn't they a had, real castle. They, they made it they for the movie it. and then burned it. Yeah. There wondered, are no miniatures in this. I Everything wondered, was built and then destroyed.
1: I truly wondered how long it took them to get that shot and how many takes they were able to do, right? I I God only knows. Because they're... Pir- presumably one well i mean if it's still i mean yeah the pyrotechnics crew could have like
0: kept yeah, the tower I, I, I burning guess that's, i guess that's true Or but, maybe you know it's like something kind of fire retardant where you could like maybe do it twice I don't yeah
1: know. again the effects were stunning and well when they're doing those edits i mean I, I presume that they had to set up the closer shot and then break and relocate the camera which probably took time and get the wider shot so I mean, I'm not even. I don't yeah, know the te- yeah, the yeah. technique, the technical aspects of of this scene. I I, I w- it's not the best. There's like maybe it shows its budget a little bit, but it's really really great. This, I mean, the sequence is really well
0: done. The movie was clearly a labor of love, and yeah. nothing was lost.
1: Um, so yeah, it was a. It's a, really it's nothing. A, you can give me nothing on that. Wait, oh. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, Love's
1: labor's lost. I might have gotten a few to, So that's another Shakespeare reference for all you Shakespeare... I'm really killing it. ...geeks out there. Um, so, so the Jero has a moment to kill his father, but he can't bring himself to do it.
0: And his, his lieutenant calls him out for his you know like why can't you do this because he says it's this is a quote of julius caesar actually the real julius caesar not the shakespeare play uh the die is cast you mm-hmm. know it's it's too late to be taking half measures here like you're already committed like just fucking do it yeah but he can't
1: yeah jiro's an interesting character he's a sort of more like macbeth
0: in his like uh uh vaulting ambition and yet weakness and execution
1: yeah and he's got a lady m in lady k and yeah. but he's also got Kur- kuragane uh
0: hold on i'll find his name for you the, i think the those, lieutenant yeah Kurugane.
1: yeah that's i sort of said it right yeah. just for forget, who i liked a lot forgive me way. everyone well he's great he's got a great character he has the fox monologue that's almost like christopher walken in pulp fiction-esque yeah. like you could see him doing that uh so now so we're at now we're at a, now we're at a uh, point where the movie slows way the hell down. Yeah, Tank Tango and the Fool link back up with Hidetora, who is clearly now mad. He's But again,
0: he's, with much more reason than Lear ever had. He
1: looks absolutely weathered and, and he's starting to look crazy and it's oh. this war, this battle has aged him years.
0: Yeah, he does look like he ages over the course of the battle. Another thing too that's a little different from the play. So Uh, In reading the play, I know one of the things is that apparently uh, a lot of the things the fool says is supposed to actually kind of secretly be wise, but because I don't have very high reading comprehension for Elizabethan dialogue, and I was trying to read it very quickly late at night, I couldn't really follow a lot of it. But in this one, a lot of the things the fool said were just translated into straight old subtitled regular degular English for me, and... They made a lot of sense and were very insightful. For instance, he sees Hidatora and he talks about how, you know, in this mad world, only the mad are sane. And he points out that um, he's gone mad because he realizes his sins. Yeah. You know, and so in this movie, the fool's wisdom is much more clear to me than it ever was in the play.
1: Well, here's a a passage from the play. Uh, Lear says to the fool, I did her wrong. I don't know which daughter he's talking about. Probably Cordelia. And the fool says... Can't tell how an oyster makes his shell. No. Nor I neither. But I can tell why a snail has a house. Why? Why to put his head in it. Not to give it away to his daughters and leave his horns without a case. It's like,
0: yeah, I got that one. I think it was more some of the songs that come later.
1: But it is, the fools, it, the fools have a very similar track in in both of them. It's okay. so, sort of yeah, like, yeah. you know, remind the king why he's screwing up. Sure, um, sure, sure, But this leads to this interesting scene where... In Now that the three of them are outcasted on the heath, they, I think they keep calling it the plane. The av- the av- yeah, yeah. Um, so they come across a hut, and this is where it strongly sort of differentiates from Shakespeare's plays. They come across a blind uh, man.
0: Well, we do get someone who's had his eyes taken out of
1: him. Yes. We unfortunately don't get to see it, but we come across a yeah, blind man who uh, we learn is the another victim of Hida violence. He's the brother of Lady Sue. Uh, who Surumaru is his name? Sur- Surumaru. So he's uh, he has al- been
0: hiding out there. I guess he has. He
1: ha- he was supposed to die at Hidetora's hand, but his life was spared in exchange for his eyesight. Okay, and he's been living as an outcast ever since. And this is another moment where Hidetora's sort of this realization. He's starting to go mad, and he's starting to realize he was a bad actor his maybe his whole I'm life i'm a monster yeah. yeah
0: well what he says in the scene is that um everyone died but me and only i should have died yeah yeah it's incredibly poetic
1: it's a, it's a great scene and it's again it's just one of these things that's i'm not going to say the play, like Shakespeare's Lear, is Shakespeare's Lear, and Ran is. I mean, it's pretty amazing in its own right. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's fun. It's fun to compare them, but it's not sort of like Dune, where we were shredding. Oh, of The movie yeah. against the material. Oh, I, it's yeah. like fun to compare them because these are their virtues to both yeah yeah um it's like a it's almost like a great cover it's like if you have a song yes uh that you like the original but then someone comes along and does a cover that makes you think about it in ways you. they
0: find new things to it that you never thought of before
1: uh so just jumping so then we get you know jiro uh and lady k they meet up yeah i don't know how i mean this scene's good it's an excellent scene don't get me wrong but she gives she basically says uh she disrespects him he wins her over by tearing he's wearing uh toro's armor and he thinks this is going to impress her and be respectful to his brother but it just upsets her
0: yeah but uh they meet up again later after he's taken it off uh she reveals herself to be uh quite quite the tough cookie yeah and smart too she she
1: accuses him of having a plot to kill her husband and he essentially confesses that she's right uh, but yeah, says,
0: he he actually had Taro killed in the, in the battle. Which he, I, was he says it was
1: Kurogane. Kiro, yeah, that's sort of alluded to because I think Kurogane has a has a rifle and is like, "Huh, Toro was shot by friendly fire," and like Jiro's like, "No," but it's sort of maybe clear that they make it clear later. I think in, if you rewatch that scene, it's like
0: wink, wink. I don't think he's... Oh, it's, but it's confirmed later that at least Jiro organized yeah. the killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but she she gets the drop on him and and holds him up with his own dagger, yeah, which it's is badass. Yeah, super Lady
1: M-like. For anyone who doesn't know what, I'm, what Lady M means, it's like Lady Macbeth who's, you know, look it up. It's a play. You should read it.
0: The OG badass bitch.
1: Uh, he c- sort of confesses that he was involved but didn't actually fire the shot, and she is weirdly fine with it she starts laughing and she closes all the doors and she's like i'm she doesn't say she's glad that it happened but she has i don't know she is this very the actress is amazing the, uh, this the is the best part of the movie yeah it's like it's oscar it's oscar bait this scene right here oscar
0: material not oscar bait cuz oscar bait is a pejorative oscar material is just what it is
1: are you saying it's okay
0: yeah, because Oscar bait is, is when you negative. see someone who's, like, clearly, like, going for it. Like, they're reaching for the Oscar. Like, they, like, this is them trying to get an Oscar. Oscar material is just someone doing work that is worthy of the Oscar, regardless of any of that. Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah.
1: What's the phrase for something that's both?
0: <laughs> so, she says that, um... She doesn't care about Taro. She just wants to secure her own power. So she will uh, join forces with Jiro. But um, he has to do a few things for her. Mainly kill his wife. Well, actually, first they have sex. Yeah, first they
1: have sex. Then she's like, yo, I need you to cut your wife's head off.
0: He's like, can't I just get a divorce?
1: Yeah, he really does say that. She's like, how could you disrespect me like that? And Which is maybe a cultural thing. I mean, maybe that they, there's...
0: No, no, no. Because the other dudes in his household are like dude like we're we don't want to kill her like you asking us to kill her is a bridge too far for us and we don't want to do that you know she she is clearly i was surprised by it too because i was like dude you got what you wanted he's gonna divorce her and marry you just take the win you're pushing it too hard by asking him to kill her
1: i don't know much about concubine culture but there is uh, maybe something we don't understand here because she could, I guess in theory, in, in this feudal world, she could have simply been a con- his one of his concubines. I guess you're allowed to have mistresses. Well, but, if but she would have been
0: his, if he divorced her, he would have made her his wife.
1: Right, but I guess what I'm saying is his initial premise is, or she says, I don't want to be your concubine, but that was an option. He could have just simply had her as a mistress. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, but he was, he had agreed to have her as his wife, but that was enough he wants her to have him at, ha, he wants him to marry her and kill the ex-wife.
1: Well, she wants him to do right. that. But, but, but she she says, like, I don't want another woman who alive who has experienced your caress. Yeah. Which means, technically, you can't have any mistresses but her. Yeah. Uh, she's pretty crazy. I mean, maybe that's not that crazy. That's just modern marriage.
0: Well... What I think it actually is is what comes out at the very end, of course, which is that she has another motivation here. Yeah, which, so uh, we'll come come back to this.
1: Leads to a pretty terrific scene where, well, I guess so. There's a bit more of a. Uh, we H- cut
0: back to heated not looking so good. <laughs> He's
1: just kind of falling apart at the seams at this point. Uh, there's, I mean, these scenes are fine, but it's mostly just him and the fool like stumbling around the wilderness. Yeah. They go through the remains of the burned of the burned third castle.
0: Yeah, this is where too uh, though that we get uh, Jiro's henchmen are like we don't want to kill Lady Sue, but Lady Kida, in one of the most like icy cold things I've ever heard anyone say, she's like. Uh, you are gonna go kill her and cut her head off, and by the way, could you salt the head to make sure that it keeps, so that when you bring it to us, it is still recognizable when we look at it, and she, can confirm that it is hers?
1: She says Lady Suez was too, was too beautiful to have her look spoiled like that, and and obviously, yes, yeah, she's also insa- insidiously uh, making sure they don't do a decoy.
0: right. We get a quick Dark Knight of the Soul for the poor fool who almost runs out on uh, Hidetora, but then comes back to him at the last second.
1: And then we get back to probably the best scene, non-action scene of the movie.
0: What's in the box? Yeah. Or, well, the bag.
1: <laughs> yeah, Kuragane comes back and he's got a what clearly is a head wrapped up, and he offers to present it to Jiro and Lady K, and... It is just a statue of a fox. Like, it's a head. Uh, It's a beheaded fox head that is a statue and not a living one, covered in salt. And she says,
0: what the fuck is this shit she's so upset my goodness she must have been a fox in disguise yeah he
1: goes into this hilarious monologue where he is he says i've heard that women can turn into fox or foxes can turn into women there and, are
0: quite a few legends of this yeah
1: fact. yeah in real irl was this a real thing that was a real mythology
0: oh well i mean yeah i mean in my very limited experience with asian mythology there there are foxes are tanuki's, who are like fox-like creatures turning into women mm. all the time and you know banging people i knew
1: foxes were always like tricksters so i guess that's the american version yeah. they don't shapeshift but they are they are i don't know nefarious but he says
0: yeah all she, kinds of animals becoming people and having sex
1: she must have been a fox uh the whole time and there's a lot of foxes that have become women around here and one of them it said was a uh, had 12 heads and was a white fox and he sort of like is looking directly at her when he's saying just this mocking
0: her right to her fucking face. I, I mean
1: this guy's icy cold and she is just fuming. Yeah, and it's not this thing where G- I thought Jira was I thought this was going to be the Gloucester scene. I thought they were going to take out his eyes because that's kind of what happens Gloucester is basically tells Goneril like he's not going to go against Lear. He's housing Lear, and uh, that's why his fate is sealed. But uh, this guy just kind of gets let off the hook. I mean, it... Yeah,
0: it works out okay They've for got
1: bigger problems to deal with, and I guess Jiro just doesn't uh, man up, as it were.
0: Yeah, well, so this is actually when those bigger problems start to arrive, because uh, here comes Saburo. His army crosses the river into Jiro's territory. Oh, and- uh, well, that's the thing is that
1: Tango or Tango at this point says if I can't get the king to Saburo, we're going to bring Saburo to the king.
0: He and he he goes off to to bring Saburo. Right. And here he comes. Yeah. And so uh Jiro learns of this, but what they find out is that um Saburo just wants Hidetora. So he's not here to fight. If he can just get Hidetora, he'll leave. Except
1: It's revealed that the other two families from the very opening scene of the film are perched at the border, ready to invade, should things go awry. And it's unclear whether they're both on Saburo's side or whether they are there for their own purposes. Yeah,
0: my sense was, so at least one of them is. So Fujimaki is like his father-in-law, so he's clearly kind of an ally here. Um, The other one, Ayabe, seems to be more of an independent actor. But... Ayabe's
1: um, a little bit like... He's kind uh, of a wild card. He's like Fortinbra.
0: Okay, sure. But uh, generally speaking, they're not friendly to Jiro, certainly.
1: No, but Jiro... As, uh, Jiro's, everyone advises Jiro that now is not the time to go to war, to let Saburo do his thing and find it, find Hidatora. And Jiro, spurned by Lady K, insists on going to battle and insists that the king cannot uh, leave alive.
0: Well, Lady K's advice is to accept a truce... Let Saburo go find Hidetora, and then use Saburo. Follow Saburo. Let him find Hidetora for him, and then use that as an opportunity to assassinate him.
1: Uh, okay, I guess I misunderstood that scene. I th- but I do know his advisors were like, "Please do not go into battle," and instead, Jiro does something in between, which yeah, is yeah, he
0: does worst of all possible worlds, basically. which is essentially both. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so. Hidator and the Fool are hanging out at Lady Sui's destroyed old castle, which, incidentally, is where Lady Sui and uh, she has joined up with her blinded brother, uh, Surumaru. They have also fled to the destroyed ruins of their old castle. However, uh, Surumaru has forgotten his flute, which is something he's had since childhood and is very precious to him, at his peasant shack back where he was hiding out. So Sui... Very foolishly leaves Sumeru there and goes back to recover the flute. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the field of battle, we have now a four way standoff between the armies of Saburo. Jiro, Fujimaki up on the one mountainside and Ayabe on a mo- on another mountainside.
1: And so many horses. So many. And it's a real Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones-esque vibe with oh, these yeah. massive armies. Lots
0: of banners, too, with sigils. Like, it's great. I uh, loved it. Jiro at this moment goes a little crazy. So he try- he's in a truce but tries to break the truce and ambush Saburo, yes. not just Hidatoro, which alienates his main guy, his main lieutenant, Kuragane, who's like, fuck, no, I am not doing this. You keep asking me to do these incredibly dishonest, dishonorable things, like kill Lady Sue and now break this truce to kill your brother. I am not doing this, and he pieces out. Yeah. And actually goes to warn Saburo, right?
1: Uh, something like that. Yeah,
0: so he takes off. There's
1: a lot to track at this part of
0: the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of shit's happening, but most importantly is that Saburo does find Torah.
1: yes and in the while that is happening his troops are fighting jiro by attacking jiro and then retreating uh, and then when jiro advances his army there's a bunch of uh like faceless soldiers in the woods with muskets uh shredding them to pieces and jiro even though he gets falls for this once decides to try and rout uh saboro's units a second time at this point his men, even though they have the overwhelming numbers, cannot survive the he- the heaps and heaps of gunfire landing on them, and they have to retreat.
0: Yeah, Saburo's army just seems to be much better led.
1: Yeah, and and about this time, we learn that—what uh, is the third—the other house? Uh, Lord Ayabe. Ayabe is actually marching on the castle.
0: Yeah, his army, which you see in the distance, uh, that was just a decoy. It's all just a bunch of flags that have been posted up, and they have actually been marching on the— Abandoned castle the whole time. After Sabura's army has won the day and um, Jiro attempts to retreat in good order back to his castle, but it quickly turns into a rout. Yeah. And uh, Sabura's army follows Lord Fujimaki's army, which has done nothing this entire time does provide a little bit of cheerleading it's an, for Zabura's it's victorious like a, forces.
1: They do like a hip hip hooray. And then he immediately orders another one because he's so pleased with how yeah. it went down. But, um, meanwhile,
0: I, I yeah. On the desert, about, yeah, desert plain, yeah. 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 This is an absolutely beautiful scene. Cause me, we have this huge battle scene going on, but I'm, I'm just so much more affected by the scene that happens Uh, There are other people there, but this is basically a scene that happens between two people. Yeah. And right from when it starts, the first thing I thought when Saburo finds his father lying basically in an ersatz grave that he's made for himself is beyond just how long the movie is, it's just how far we have come since that opening scene where we were hunting boar and Hidetora was so noble and you know high in his you know status and nobility and now look at him and now look at us you know like hitatora is a wreck and he's lying in this dusty grave saburo is about you know he's in his armor about to fight a war with his one remaining brother like it's just like look at where we look how far we've fallen in so short a time yeah You know, you know, it's like that earlier scene, everything is green and beautiful. And now we're on this dusty, barren brown plain.
1: Yeah. And there's a beautiful shot of of clouds in the sky. I mean, the film, the filmmaking here and the art direction and the storytelling are all beautifully synced.
0: But the most beautiful thing is that Hidetora feels that like after all that he's done, uh, all the unforgivable things that he's done, the most unforgivable thing being that he, you know, betrayed his son. He doesn't feel like his son could ever truly forgive him, but he does. Yeah, and, and I, I did you get it all choked up at that?
1: I mean, I, I don't know if I got choked up. but I was affected, and it it actually does. It it some of the lines here are very similar to Shakespeare's text, which was uh, maybe I enjoyed as well. I, 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 it was great. Yeah, when he says like I. He's lying when he's like, "I forgive you," and he says he's lying, and and Tongo has to say, "No, sir, he's t- he's telling the truth." And
0: I mean, think about the fact that the movie begins. The reason why you exiled him was because this is the one son who refused to ever lie to you. Yeah, you know that's what I was thinking. But I-, I also I-, I also just like that. Saburo's responses to him are constantly he keeps calling him father just like there's so much i don't know i'm always such a sucker for fathers and sons stuff Mm -hmm. and just his he keeps just being like father you know dad you know it's like i you are my father like i forgive you which
1: makes it all the worse a few moments later when they're horseback riding together to safety and the troops roll in to tell them they've won but a second unit that jiro sent out guns down saboro
0: just when everything seems like it's worked out, they've won the battle. All is forgiven. They are laughing together, and then it is all taken away in a second. Which is maybe more, well, as impactful at least,
1: maybe more impactful than the Cordelia offstage stage death. Which in in the play, uh, this uh, son or in the play the daughter is hung off-stage, and Lear brings her in. You know, upset about the death. We get it. We get to watch it, which yeah. is you know something.
0: Yeah. So Hidatora, in his heartbreak, much like Lear does, dies in this moment as well. Yeah, his heart gives out. Jira's forces arrive in complete disarray back at their castle, and this is where we discover that Lady Sui has been killed as well. We get another head in a bag.
1: This is a little bit more what's-in-the-box.
0: This is, yes, because we don't know what's-in-the-box. Ba- I think the box. is like, what's-in-the-box? Right. And we discover that- And
1: some soldier's like, I don't know. Jiro told me to do this shit. What What What's wrong?
0: Well, it turns out Lady K told him to do this shit. Yes. And they go up to her, and we find out that what I had thought was her Cersei Lannister style ambition driving her this whole time, it turns out was in fact cruel vengeance driving her this whole time, that everything that has been driving her- was in fact her desire to just destroy this family and to do it as painfully as possible to avenge the destruction of her own family, which she referenced at the beginning of the film. And now that she has essentially completed her mission, she, yeah, she's done, she's complete. And she's like, and now, you know, there's nothing left. I've basically won. I, I've wrecked you.
1: And we get the shot that you predicted, which is Jiro
0: Actually I think it's uh it's a Kuragane. Kuragane does it, yeah.
1: They run her through with a sword.
0: Yeah, the blood spray. He he he's he just stands and slashes her and that blood spray is right up on the wall. And that was the show. I actually had given up on thinking it would appear in this movie because I was like, Oh, it must have just been from a different film. But then right there at the end I was like, Oh, we are gonna get it. Yeah. Money <laughs> shot, comes. baby. Yeah. And so it was a very, very interesting Uh, arc for that character yeah it's great i i i I am fascinated by her and even though this doesn't have the same
1: it does flip the genders in one direction it does sort of get some credit i guess for flipping the edmund gender
0: i do question i do question her motivation though in killing lady Sue because she is not really a part of the family. She is an innocent, and indeed, she—I mean, she is in the same position as Lady K was. Her family was destroyed, and she was just impressed into this family. Like, why kill her? Because she shows subservience
1: to Hidetora when he visits, and she's she acts at least okay with this situation. I think. Okay, so I think it's a penance for being uh, complicit even though she didn't really have a choice. I agree with you that she she was like impressed is the right word but uh, and she's an innocent. You know? Yeah, but no go act you know no and go all, turn goes unpunished.
0: Right. And I guess also she just like the the completeness of the destruction. She wants like no leave no stone unturned here, you know. Maybe
1: Edmund isn't exactly the best comparison for this character because
0: I, he does repent at the end of Lear.
1: What's coming to my mind is Iago. Mm. who at the very end of othello says you know i did he has actually even explained why he did it he kind of just indicates i did it because i did it like i did it to to do it and y'all never tell you exactly why measure for measure man (laughs) uh so the I guess we're sort of, we're at the we're at the end. Yeah, we're we're at the end of the we film. We get basically. the shot. Uh, we get
0: the final shot of Saburo's army leaves basically in a funeral procession mm-hmm. for Saburo and Hidetora, and the very last shot of the film is a uh, poor blind Surumaro at the ruins of his castle with his sister never coming back. I thought he was
1: going to jump off the cliff. That's how I thought it was going to end.
0: I thought it was going to be
1: like wide shot silhouette body goes over the edge
0: and that's not what happens but in a certain way i think ending on the shot of this poor blind helpless victim waiting for the return of someone who is never going to come is even bleaker than that yeah yeah and so and that there is how the movie ends yeah it it is one of the bleakest films i've seen in a really long time and yet i just got it was stunningly beautiful
1: yeah it's it's a lot like i'm not i'm not saying uh the comparison is so strong that they are like uh companion pieces but polanski's Macbeth and this are very to me tonally similar and leave you with that, that is also a very bleak film a yeah. very bleak bloody Even just visually yeah and know. uh medieval violence but another you know large battle violence type of film um and, and another shakespeare else? play
0: yeah and you know basic jiro wins you know he is alive and in charge at the he loses is, the battle is but he in
1: charge i thought that he's Ayabe, lost the battle, i thought but...
0: Ayabe took over the castle He hadn't captured the castle. Oh, interesting. Okay. He's camped outside, but Saburo is... He's going home, so, like, we don't need... I guess we don't really know how it works out, but, like... We know that the family is essentially ruined. Yeah, Yeah. so, yeah, it's just... It is is a downer ending, but, we, uh, you know, it's based on King Lear. We always knew we were due for that.
1: I guess I adhered to the plot way more than I expected it to, and the flourishes that were different... I embrace and give this movie five out of five stars I suppose I will say that it is five
0: out of five Henry's
1: five out of five Henry's Um, it's a bit slow it does have a bit of a slow third act post the taking of this of the third castle but I don't think that's enough for me to really nag on what is overall a very complete and good work of art
0: yeah i've you know repeatedly lately i've been critical of movies for being too long and i've been critical of pacing and I, w- I don't want to be a broken record about that because i know there's often a purpose to including these kinds of scenes that i often grow impatient with i do think maybe i could have used a tiny bit less of scenes of Hidetora's madness and increasing madness because i was kind of getting it um and I, I thought maybe they went on a little too long but generally speaking i think the movie is the right length like it everything that happened needed to happen for yeah. the movie to work
1: yeah this is for me kind of similar to what my david cronenberg experience was where now i want to really do a deep dive on the rest of his films oh uh, we, Karas- we can Karasau's do films. yeah oh we can do that too I mean we, we did the fly and I've done my own like Cronenberg watch, but Wait, I don't, you still gotta
0: do scanners.
1: There wasn't really any reason I don't know why. I guess it's because these movies are a bit older and it's definitely not the type of thing you maybe sit down and watch with a group. But uh I don't know if these are on streaming services. You got this, as we like to promote, at the library. From my local library. Which is pretty great. But uh I would say anyone who's like You know, your your second season is about what exploring different genres and different films, uh, going out of your way to see stuff you wouldn't normally come across. And this is something that wouldn't normally come across my desk, so to speak, but I loved it. It was great. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, So I guess I just sort of alluded to the premise final thing of your podcast. But is there anything else you wanted to digest in terms of background do you have any fun facts do you have used to do used to pull out you occasionally plot reviews
0: yeah i got a couple of things okay great all right so um the movie as we mentioned before was the highest budgeted in japanese history up until that point it had an 11 million dollar budget it was very critically successful 96 percent rotten tomatoes but financially it only made 12 million dollars so kind of just broke even But critically, this is an incredibly well-thought-of film. So a couple of reviews I would point to. So uh, Gene Siskel for the Chicago Tribune at the time called it a mighty triumph. The physical scale is overwhelming. Kurosawa is telling a great story, and he has always been able to knock us back with his battle scenes that have no contemporary equal. But what surprises in scene after scene in Ron is that he displays his absolute command of a more quiet world, too. Ultimately, it is this mixture of the grand gesture and the fine touch, the big world and the small people who occupy it, that lingers with us long after Ron is over. Which I just think is extremely well put. It's on point. Yeah. Scott. More, more, more recently, Scott Tobias, writing for the AV Club, wrote, Uh, that the movie is one of the rare spectacles that's more than mere spectacle, a prismatic work containing riches beyond its justly celebrated battle sequences. It has breathtaking visual poetry and it is a film for the ages. So just as some last trivia stuff, I know you'll appreciate some of this. All right, so due to local political shit, uh, this was not submitted as Japan's entry as Best Foreign Film for the Oscars. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, It was, though, nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Costume Design. It won Costume Design. And then uh, Kurosawa was also nominated for Best Director because uh, Sidney Lumet, the director, organized on his own a a special campaign to get him nominated just just on his own. Very Brazil-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, This was Akira Kurosawa's only best director nomination in his entire history so very martin scorsese-esque well, well scorsese keeps getting nominated but never wins ah, okay kurosawa but i mean think about i mean Kurosawa: seven samurai rashomon yojimbo like all, all of these incredibly his only nomination I mean, and and i mentioned the local politics shit this was not nominated for best picture at japan's uh national academy awards what were the local
1: politics did people think it reflected poorly on the current government or something like that
0: um i couldn't really i didn't have time to get too much farther into it i guess it was just you know he was on the outs there did he win he wasn't nominated for best director oh no he 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 did not the of the oscars they only won costume design yeah um so on imdb trivia this film used approximately 1,400 extras, and 200 horses. 1,400 suits of armor that were designed by Kurosawa himself were fabricated and a number of the horses had to be imported from the United States. Several hundred costumes were all created by hand, a process taking two years to complete." The castle destroyed in the middle of the movie was specially constructed on the slopes of Mount Fuji for the film and then burned down. No miniatures were used for that segment, although an optical of another castle being burned at the end was used. A scene which required an entire field to be sprayed gold was filmed but left out of the final cut of the movie
1: oh no can you actually see that somewhere on the internet i don't know
0: what could that possibly Uh, have been
1: uh maybe a like a dream like a dream sequence or a a hallucinogenic sequence
0: who knows well but anyway but so that's all i had for uh, final stuff and i guess that does bring us to the final question of this podcast josh do you believe that this film is better late or never, and that you feel like there was something essential about this movie that makes you now a more complete film watcher for having seen it, or never is that if you'd never seen this film, you think you would have gone through the rest of your life with that being just A-OK?
1: Now I'm going to say better late. Yeah? Yeah. You know, what, what's your thoughts on the, what about, I'm going to put you on the spot, what about the play King Lear?
0: Oh, better late. No okay. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say that for a lot of Shakespeare plays, at least for the major ones. I mean, I know there's some, some minor shitty ones like you know a fucking, uh, Cymbeline or something that you don't have to read. But King Lear, Cymbeline is a good play. I really? mean yeah.
1: I don't. I think it may be better performed than read, but it's it's a it's an interesting one. Well,
0: anyway, it I mean... also
1: it also has an old king who's, oh, really? who's, got, who's strayed from his waist, but it has something that's not featured in many other Shakespeare's, which is an evil stepmother.
0: Oh, interesting. That's so, cool. yeah, taking a little bit from Grimm, then yeah, Grim Fairy Tales. Yeah, I mean, I um, I talked a little smack on King Lear at the beginning, but it's just um, it's not my favorite of his plays, but uh, I did I did like it. Okay, so, uh, yeah. And then for Ron answering the question for myself, this was an absolute better late. I loved this, and I'm saying that, uh, in particular, as a fan of Kurosawa's work, I think if you are into him and into his oeuvre then you 100% have to see this movie. It is maybe not his best film, and it's not my favorite of his films that I've seen, but it is a masterpiece, and you should go out of your way to see it.
1: Yeah, I heard they were going to uh, present his oeuvre at the Louvre, but they had to cancel it due to the coronavirus. Oh shit, really? <laughs> no, those two words just rhyme, and it came into my head as a funny joke. He,
0: he, he. Uh, all right. Well, if you would like to email the podcast again, hit us up at pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet at us and tell us everything that we got wrong when discussing this movie. Probably a lot. Please tweet at us, especially our pronunciations, right? Uh, or maybe uh, my opinion on King Lear. Um, I
1: believe I called Kurosawa Akira Kurosawa, which is his full name. But then I think at some point I started mashing the two together. So I apologize for that.
0: Yeah, but anyway, you can tweet us at betterlate_pod. And then Josh, I believe you have some plugs? Uh, I don't have any plugs uh this week. No. All right. Well, in that case, uh if there're no plugs from you, Josh, then uh I'll just say this has been Dave and this has been Josh to noble kinsmen of the Boston area. oh And uh read us out.
1: I'd like to take us out with the final lines of King Lear itself spoken by edgar the weight of this sad time we must obey speak what ye feel not what we ought to say the oldest hath borne most we that are young shall never see so much nor live so long exeunt with a dead march